I want to speak for the next few weeks as, as the posture of how to face this next season and uh, the way that we should be as church. I'm going to use a lot about the metaphor of a bride, but one of the underlying questions that I believe that we've got is, is it going to be okay? In times like this, we face several responses. Some, some responses might be, you know what, we cannot worry, we just have to do our bit and carry on. And I guess that's where most of us are. We can't change anything, so, you know, let's just carry on and just do our best. Or then there'll be other people who will over-focus on every news item that we have and turn to worry. And if you're at home or here and you've been disquieted and fearful, God bless you. That, that's an understandable response. Another response to our season, though, is to definitely deepen in prayer because we know that God seems to be reshaping the geopolitical world. And many questions could be said, but it does look like that things have turned and that we are in a new season. And whether or not you want to talk about end times or not, that's not my purpose today, but actually there is a shift of season coming out of the pandemic, going into the troubles that we are, there is a new season and it seems like the Lord is moving around things for the coming of the King and whenever that will be, but the season has shifted and are we going to be the church that is relevant to the old season that was or the season now? Because if it's shifted, how have we shifted to meet that new challenge? How should we respond underneath all of our pronouncements? I think as parents, as grandparents, as, as people with friends and people who we care about, I think the underlying question is, is it going to be okay? And of course... We have to ask ourselves what kind of stance should the church take in these times? And of course, some of us will jump quickly and say, of course, it's going to be okay. But let me take you back to a, a, a Jewish engagement ceremony and, and get Jesus' answer when the disciples were asking, is it going to be okay? You see... When a young Jewish girl was going to be engaged to her husband, she would be about 14 or 15. It's a little bit different now, and you know, the biblical times were different culture and times. And about 14, 15, maybe 16, her father would take uh, offers almost of who would be the best person in some of our cultures today that our parents are very much involved. And um, he would, would kind of work out who the suitors were. And then what would happen is, is that the young man's family and his friends would come to the home of the, the young girl with the fathers and mothers there all present. And the young man would offer the young girl some wine to drink. And they would have a cup there and, and she had the right not to take that cup, although there was a lot of 
pressure to take the cup, she could say no. And she could refuse to drink it. And as you imagine the pressure on the young fella, the, you know, he's kind of thinking, here's the wine, and she's going, hmm, shall I, shall I? <laughs> but if she picks up the cup and she drinks it, then he's going to say a little speech, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But what happens is, at that moment, they're not married, they're engaged. And she is a bride-to-be from that moment. But something else has to be done. In fact, actually, something else has to be built. The young man goes away and goes to his home, the home of his father, and he has to build a room on the side of the house. Now, if the father has many brothers, there would be quite a lot of rooms, and the houses would actually have a technical term called the insula, and around the main room there would be many rooms built around and on, on several stories and going back uh, into the land, and some would be great and elaborate, but here's the thing. The son did not decide when the room was finished. The son did not know when he could say and go back to the bride, I'm coming back for you. It was up to the father to say, this is the standard, this is what you need to do. Going back to the bride, her only job, well, she was learning how to be a wife. And that's what the preparation period was for her. The son is building something. The bride, bride is learning something. But one of her responsibilities was to every night, she had to light a lamp and put it in her window. So that when the son came back, because he always came back at night, he would know which window was hers and which window to call out to her. Back to the story. So after she's drunk the wine, the husband-to-be would say this, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it was not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come back and take you to be where I am. When Jesus said those words to the disciples in John chapter 14, he was using a wedding speech that they'd heard many, many times before. They knew it off by heart. And when Jesus wants to assure his followers that they're going to be okay and that their future is secure and that they shouldn't let their hearts be troubled, he uses a wedding metaphor. It's going to be okay because he's going to look out for his bride. I want to say to you, church, today, you're his bride, and he is your husband, and he is going to look after you. Now, I know that some of you men are going to say, oh, I don't really like this feminine metaphor, but yes, and women have put up with sports metaphors all the way in sermons, so get used to it. There are some really important lessons to learn. Today, you need to be sure that God is going to take care of his bride. In fact, this is what the Bible says. If you look in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25, the second half of that verse, it reads like this. Christ loved his church, and he gave himself up for her. 
to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present to himself a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You know, there are many pictures of the, of the church. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, he, he calls us a temple and a, a household. In chapter 3, he calls us a family. In chapter 4, he talks about us being a body. In chapter 6, he talks about us being an army. But here in chapter 5, the church is seen as a bride. That particularly speaks into God's love for us. His particular care for us. But at the same time, it helps us know how to live and have the mindset for these seasons that we're in. I believe the mindset of being an expectant bride is the mindset that the church needs to have. You see, the first thing that we notice from Ephesians is that the bride is not just any appearance. And of course, on your wedding day, perhaps if you have been a bride, you didn't just throw your old t-shirt on and slip on your jeans. You actually made an effort, I hope. <laughs> Our stance in these times is that we need to attract and have the greatest attention that we can get to ourselves, that we stand out that we don't blend in, that like a bride is radiant on her day, we stand out. And we say, I am radiant and full of splendor. When it says that he wants to make us holy, he wants to make us stand out. In fact, in the Greek, the, the word for making us holy, is, it, it actually means rain on you like a deluge. That actually he doesn't just want to do a little bit of work of holiness, that he actually wants to completely and radically heal every hang-up hurt and habit that you've got. That, that he wants to infuse all of your life with his holiness. That God's not holding back on you. When Ephesians says that we're washed in the word, the word for word is, is rhema. And it means a particular word to your season at that time and to your need. That God lovingly wants to speak into your life as his bride. Over the next few weeks, I want us to look at over 10 characteristics of what a bride is, uh, biblically speaking. And to explore them so that you can be equipped for this season. Because I want you to, in a sense, understand times have shifted and we need to be ready for this season. I'm not going to do all ten today, but here's an important truth. Yes, God is working on you. God is not going to hold back on his care and love and, and shepherdliness and is working on you by his spirit and through relationships and in our groups and everything. God is going to work on you. But listen to this. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 17, it says this. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That actually you are 
completely involved in the process. There isn't all God working on you, but you participate in the process for it to be complete. And I'll talk about this later, but one of the ways that we complete this process is by the Great Commission, that we begin to disciple people and we are discipled ourselves. And the Great not only the great commission, but the great completion, that actually the end is only going to come when all the world and every person has heard the gospel. That's what Jesus said one of the signs were. But by participating in the commission and the completion, in sharing, in prayer, care and share, you're going to make yourself ready. But let's find out how we can make ourselves ready even more. By taking the posture of a bride, three things that I'd like us to talk about today, that I feel is important. Everybody, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, and we're going to read about some expectant brides. Three characteristics of a bride today. First of all, a bride is prepared. Second of all, a bride is ready. And third of all, a bride is expectant. Let's have a look at Matthew 25. Let's read a parable. Jesus teaching towards the end of his life. He's not got much time left before his cross and then his resurrection. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. At what time? If you flick back a page to verse 42 of chapter 24, Jesus said this, Therefore keep watch because you do not know what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch. Jesus is posturing this parable in the midst of, you don't know when the Lord's coming, but this is how to live in the light of the fact he is coming. Let me say that again. You don't know when the Lord is coming, but we have to know how to live in light of the fact he is coming. You see, we've stopped preaching about the second coming of the Lord. Ministers have begun to feel a bit funny about it. But I want to announce to you today, Jesus Christ is coming again. He is coming again. And he will come back. And nothing will hold him back. No government, no nothing, no missile, no army. Nothing's going to hold the fact that the Lord is coming again. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. He's coming. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will look like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy. All of them fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some oil for yourselves. 
But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for him, for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you, therefore keep watch. And this is the point of the parable. Keep watch because you do not know the hour or the day in which he comes. And my purpose today is not to predict times and seasons, but actually to help us to keep watch so that we know how to live in this season that has moved on. In this parable, we see two categories, wise and foolish. The wise people who see the wisdom and wise people see wisdom and they see light and they adjust their lives around it. Wise people say, I need, I need this lamp to stay on so I'm going to adjust my life so that I can make it so that it stays on. They let the light change them, their behavior. Proverbs 9 verse 9 says, Instruct the wise and they'll be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. The foolish in this parable, the foolish always bend the light to suit them. They find a reason to say why it doesn't apply to them. Have you ever met people like that? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> they always say that they don't change themselves. They want to change the truth or change what's wise. Proverbs 9 verse 7 and 8 says it this way. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Have you ever done that? You've kind of said some things to somebody and you get all load back. Woo! Has that ever happened to you? Do not rebuke mockers and they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. You see, the foolish have the equipment. They've got the lamps. But they've not got the backup, the oil. They live in a kind of, let's just manage and let's just get through type of existence where the wise seek the margin for the season. Where the wise seek the margin of both spiritual resources, emotional resources, maybe other resources, they always seek a margin, that's wise. Now the bride prepares to meet the groom and like the wise who take the equipment, they also take the resources that feed the equipment. The bride is prepared. And if we're going to live as church as a bride, we need to live in preparedness. They had to invest in order to get oil. They had to buy it from someone. They had to go and get it. They had to carry the weight of it as well as their lamp. They had to make some sort of investment. Living that way will cost you. If there's no cost to your Christianity, I wonder what you're investing in. You have to go where you can get oil. 
That means you have to go to your cell group or go to your small group or go to your prayer meeting or go to your friends who receive prayer and begin to invest in your spiritual life. You have to take the right rest. You have to work at the right times. You've got to get oil. It will cost you. I wonder how you're living your life. I wonder if you're, I'll just make it through and living for that, ex, uh, that kind of existence. Or how much investment are you putting into your heart and life? Wise people protect their boundaries. Have you noticed in the parable, you see, not everybody else's crisis is your emergency. Do you need me to say that again? Not everybody else's crisis is your emergency. You see, what the wise did, they pointed the foolish to the place, but they didn't make it happen for them. You've got to take your own responsibility. They said, give us some oil, and they said, no. There's a boundary here. You know when you draw a boundary, you're always going to upset someone. Foolish expect that they can get what they need at any time they need it. I don't know about you, but the parable says that the bridegroom came at midnight. I don't know many oil shops that are open at midnight. I'm not sure they had Amazon back then. (laughs) And that's the point what the Lord is saying is, you don't know when you need it. The key lesson for us all is get what you need before you need it. You don't think you need it now. And you may be in a place where you perhaps don't need as much now, but get as much as you need and invest as much as you can in yourself. Begin to build up your spiritual life. Begin to protect your heart, fill your heart, because there's going to come a season when you need it. What are you investing in right now? How much do you invest in your spiritual life, in your physical life, in your relational life? How much do you actually live in a margin? Or is it a quick piece of toast in the morning, a peck on the cheek, and I'll see you next week sometime, darling? You've got to invest in that woman. You see, the virgins, they all fell asleep. If you notice, the wise and the foolish all got tired. We all get tired. We all get exhausted. And that's why being prepared is really important. So today, maybe the first lesson of being prepared is that as a church now, we've moved a season and it's time for us to say to ourselves, what do you regularly invest in to give yourself more of a spiritual life and more of a spiritual margin? So that when the storm comes, personal storms, you have some reserves. Can I hear an amen, anyone? It's time to invest. It's time to put some investment into your life. The second thing about a bride is not only are they prepared, but they're ready They're ready for when the bridegroom comes. Now, when we think of being ready, in in this parable in particular, we often think and talk in terms for when the bridegroom comes. We've got to be ready for when Jesus comes. And all of that obviously is true. 
But they were all ready in the sense that they were all dressed in the bride's bride's uh, clothes. They were all dressed as far as that was concerned. They were all ready, but they were not ready for the new season that was coming. And they didn't prepare that actually I'm going to move from being a waiting bride to someone who goes into a banquet and becomes a wife. That's the new season. What's the point of preparing for something and then you don't enter into it? Being ready means I'm ready to move to another season. From bride to wedding banquet. From wedding banquet to marriage. I want to learn all what that season means, not wanting to just carry on the weight, but actually move to the goal of why I've been waiting. And so I'm saying to you, invest today, invest. But it's time for us to say, has my season moved on, Lord? Is my season changing? Can I live in that season? What wouldn't it be so sad to just be a bride and never a wife? Do you remember Charles Dickens's Great Expectations where he wrote an, that novel and there was a lady there called Miss Havisham. And Miss Havisham was jilted, wasn't she? And was left sitting in a room. In fact, let me read some of it to you. Miss Havisham was stuck in time. I saw that everything within my view, which ought to be white, had been white long ago and had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. I saw that the bride within the bridal dress had withered like the dress and like the flowers and had no brightness left, but the brightness of her eyes had sunken. It was then I began to understand that everything in the room had stopped. Have you stopped? Was your wedding dress bright one time and the seasons moved on and everything stopped? Like the watch and the clock a long time ago, I noticed that Miss Havisham put the jewel exactly on the spot from which she had taken it up. You see, being ready is not just being ready for the bridegroom to arrive. Being ready is to be ready to be the wife that you're supposed to be. And not just the event. How ready are we to move to a new season? To begin to say to ourselves, you know what, Lord? You're doing some things in my life. I'm investing in my life. I'm prepared. But now I'm ready that all that investment is poured out. How about it, church? What about for you personally and speaking to you as an individual? Are you living in that season when it really is another season? Are we as a church living in that season when really God is moving us to another season? Let me deepen that thought. The third idea 
of a bride is that not only are they prepared and ready, but they are expectant. A bride is prepared for a new season, but they're expectant for a moment. For the time when the bridegroom comes and the things that happen, happen to her in real moments. You know, where God shows up and there's actually not just a season that they're looking for, but actually, like in the parable, the bridegroom's come, it's happening now. And I wonder if there is an encounter moment for you where God wants to speak to you and God wants to meet you and do a significant work. I wonder how expectant we are. Can I make a confession to you? I'm going to say it out loud. I do shop at Marks and Spencers. <laughs> I love a V-neck jumper, don't I, Kathy? I'm obsessed with them. I like lots of colours and lots of... I do like my V-neck jumper. I've got one upstairs, folded up, ready for when I go home. I love my V-neck jumper. But what I've noticed, there are other good uh, suppliers of V-neck jumpers, just to let you know. But what I've noticed is that you can't find them as much now because Marks and Spencers are already planning for the summer season. You know that two days when we have sunshine over here? They're planning for that. They're planning for that. Are you planning for a new season? Or are you living the way it was? The way it always should be? Is there any new season coming to you? Whilst I'm being vulnerable and sharing my kind of thoughts about my fashion, which is non-fashion, it was my birthday this week. Don't, don't worry. Uh, no, don't. Please don't. I was so sensitive about it. I was really sensitive about it. I'm really touchy about my age. Don't ask Kathy how old I am or anything like that. I was really touchy about it. I, in fact, I needed a little bit of help and healing, and God sent someone along to help me, actually. But you know, this week, I touch you about it because I'm thinking, man, if they find out how old I am, some of them are going to work out how long I've got left. <laughs> Although, Moses started when he was 80, so come on. How about that? So maybe I should take courage from that. You know, somebody this week, it happened to, has this ever happened to you? Somebody this week stood up on the bus for me and offered me their seat. <laughs> I'm thinking, I wasn't very gracious. I said to the lady, she was a nice lady, I said, how old do you think I am? <laughs> and that didn't help, you see. I was all going through this whole thing. That didn't help didn't help at all. I should have been more gracious. But I went to a meeting this week and there was a leader of the YWAM, uh, leader of YWAM in Argentina speaking. He was actually speaking through a translator. And he was talking about, he talked about Corrie ten Boom and he said that Corrie ten Boom, who was a, a, a great saint to help to get through the Nazi uh, invasion and 
he said, he, he told the story about how somebody prophesied over her that her most fruitful time would be between the ages of 70 and 80. She died when she was 83. And indeed, all of her books, everything, her ministry, had the most successful time in the last 10 years. And it kind of spoke to me, you know, because I'm being real sensitive about my age. And then he said this. He said, experience should never be your captain. Faith has to be your captain. He said, experience is great. It's like on a train. He said that the carriage on the train is your experience is where other people can gain comfort and they can get help from you because of your experience. But he says, your engine is your faith. I've never been this age before. I've never been into this season, but I'm expectant that God can lead me forward. How about you? We've never been this way before as a church. The church has never faced so many difficulties, but I'm expectant that God can lead us forward in faith. You see, as a bride prepares and invites for a season, we don't just live for a moment. We need to invest so that we know how to live for a season, but we are expectant that God will give us moments of change and moments so that we can grow and God can speak to us by his Rima word. What's your need of change this morning? You need to ask God for a moment. You see, we need to be ready for events, but we also need to be ready to live in new faith adventures and new faith seasons and a new way of living. We need to be willing to invest, but also open enough to receive an encounter. The posture of a bride is forward-looking. It's not that the past is not valuable. In fact, everything that led her to that moment, the relationship, the engagement, the drinking of the wine, but the posture of the bride is looking forward and leads us forward to new depths of relationships and a new focus in God. Sinas have been really vulnerable this morning. I told you about my struggles about my birthday. I told you about my fashion sense. I might as well tell you this one. Pastoring somewhere like KT can sometimes be a bit nerve-wracking because it's got such a brilliant history. And actually, the history has led us to this point. And that's just great. But it's very true of the church these days. We have to look forward, not because the past wasn't any good, but because it's built that platform now for us to go forward into the new faith adventures that God has got for you. How many of you are looking for a jumper when it's really summer? How many of you are shopping in last season when really God is calling us to a new season? We'll always do discipleship. We'll always do prayer. I'm not saying about things like that. But it's very true of the church in these days that we have to look forward into a deepening relationship where we are investing continually but we're ready to move into a new season. Which season are you in?
Are you in last year's season? Are you in COVID season? Are you watching online tonight, today, and you're in COVID season, you're watching online, and yet you're afraid to come back because you're not in this season? Come back. It's okay. Amen? Which season are you in? Are you in the season of the 1970s when you were saying, oh, it was great back then, but that season has moved? Which season are you in? The posture of a bride is, I have faith for the future. I'm expectant for God to give me the words that I need. I'm prepared and I'm investing.